Okay, well, uh, good morning from me as well. My name's Tim, if we haven't met before, one of the elders here. And uh, this morning we get to uh, bring our series on faith to a conclusion. We've been looking at this famous chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, where the author is trying to encourage believers to, uh, uh, to stand strong, to um, see others who have gone before them and how they have put their trust in God and be really lifted up by that. And, uh, and we come to the end of uh, chapter 11 last week, and so we're just going to look at the first few verses in chapter 12, which um, are really the, okay, you've heard all of this, now what? Now what are you going to do? So um, the, the title this morning is called Run Convinced. We've been, we call this series Convinced. We want to be a people who uh, em, imitate those who, um, who've gone before us, who were convinced, and because they were convinced, were able to prove God's faithfulness in extraordinary ways. As we've said a number of times through this series, this, this particular letter was written to uh, Hebrew believers in Jesus who were starting to feel the strain, starting to feel the pain, the difficulty of following Jesus. And uh, in no way does this writer want to uh, uh, pretend that that's not the case. He wants to say, yeah, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. And yet Jesus is too glorious to, ho- to let go of. Jesus is our every hope. And he's been talking through the book about how Jesus is superior. He is superior to the angels. He comes with a superior message. He's the superior sacrifice. He is the only hope that we have. And so he wants to remind them of that. Now, don't let go. And so he's taken them through this great list of, uh, you might call heroes of the faith, but one of the things we've noticed as we've looked is actually they're heroic because uh, they were people just like us who trusted in God and saw God to be the real hero. Uh, If there's one uh, author that says, if I were not able to do what these people are able to do, then this whole letter uh, becomes a nonsense to me. It doesn't actually help me. The whole point is to say, look what's possible. Look what's possible for us as we follow Jesus. And so he's gone through all these heroes of the faith, uh, looking at how heroically they followed Jesus and followed God, and and, and, uh, we want to be inspired by that. We come on to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 13, and uh, let's pick it up there, and then I will pray, and then we will uh, jump into what we're looking at. So it says this, Therefore, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be Weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Father, we thank you so much for this series where we have again and again and again seen the incredible possibilities as people trust you, as people obey you, as people put their weight on your promises. And Lord, we want to be the people of God following the one who's in charge, the one who's in control. And so I do pray this morning that as we wrap this up, that we would uh, not just be inspired, but that the Holy Spirit would minister to us, would call us on, would say, come, come. We pray, Holy Spirit, for you to help us to receive what you want us to receive this morning. We pray, would you anoint my words? We pray, would you anoint, more importantly, God's word to our hearts this morning? Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what really we're looking at is running convinced. Are we going to run a race convinced? Are we convinced? Are we convinced like them? He's got to the end of this little kind of sermon, really, of chapter 11, where he's gone, now this is what faith looks like. Are you going to have this kind of faith? And now it comes to the end, and he begins with, therefore. At the end of this, therefore, are you going to be convinced? Are you going to be convinced like them? And then we're going to look at four things of which we are encouraged to be convinced of. Firstly, convinced of a faithful God. Are you convinced? Are you absolutely convinced of a faithful God? Are you convinced to urgency? That's the second thing. Are you convinced to urgency? Are you convinced of the good news, thirdly? And are you convinced that God is at work, fourthly? So first of all, convinced of a faithful God. Therefore, at the end of all of these examples, are you convinced? Are you reminded? Have you been stirred to affection towards this God? Because we've looked at some of the history of men and women who trusted God in all sorts of different circumstances, with different pressures, with different directions from God on what each one should do. We've looked at Moses, we've looked at Noah, we've looked at Abraham, we've looked at all these different accounts, and each one of them required different obedience. But as they surrendered, as they said, yes, I I will submit, as as they said, yes, I will obey, God every time showed himself to be faithful to them. Are you convinced of that? Believers, are you convinced of that? He is speaking today. And I, and I will, uh, if you're here and you're not yet a believer, it's a wonderful word we heard from, from Rob who just wanted to, he just felt God was saying to, to certain people who not yet put their feet across the line, not yet put their weight in God's hands. And, I, and it, this is particularly written to believers. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, please listen in. And I will, I will speak to you particularly at the end. But this is written to believers. Are you convinced? Are you stirred? 
And as we look at the history of God's people, we've only looked at really a small slice of it. The, the, uh, the, the writer to the Hebrews only looked at the first few books of the Bible. It's not like he's looked at the, the whole of the Old Testament. He's just pulled out a few things here and there. And just this small slice, we've seen again and again and again that trusting and obeying God proves his faithfulness. And it also proves and shows his incredible authority. Each time we've seen that, 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 that Moses, yeah, he trusted God in, in a way that if God wasn't in charge, that would have just fallen flat on his face. It's not just that God is faithful. Yes, God is faithful. God can be trusted. He can be trusted, but, but it's that he has proved that he is a faithful God. He is God. He's the one who's in control. We see Noah. God Noah following God in, in extraordinary ways. And we see the, 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 um, Joshua in the, in the walls of Jericho. We see the Israelites going through the Red Sea. These things aren't possible unless... They're not possible just if a faithful person says it. They're possible if that faithful person is God who can do it. They're possible if he is actually in charge, actually in control. So he's saying to them, are you, are you convinced that he is a faithful God? He's trustworthy, but he's also God. And, and, and there's an illustration in one of the Gospels, or probably in a few of them, actually, uh, about this, this particular thing where um, really it's this thing of, of, are you convinced? Are you convinced? And it's the time when Jesus has actually freaked a load of people out. He's got to the point where he's got, he's got really popular. He's got loads of followers. And Jesus says this bizarre thing. And it's like a sort of slap your forehead moment, like, Jesus, why did you have to say that? You were getting really popular. You were getting a big crowd. Why did you say that? You've ruined it. Loads of them walked away because Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to abide with me, if you want to be close to me and be friends with me and be in my family, if you want to abide with me, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. Jesus, what are you saying that for? And loads of them left. And it says... Jesus turned to Peter and said, so Peter, will you also leave me? Will you also depart me, depart from me? Peter replied, Lord, to whom should we go? Who else is there? To whom should we turn? You have the words of eternal life. No one else has the words that you have. No one else has the way to eternal life. And we have believed. We've already put our lot in with you. And now we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go? We found God. We are convinced. We're convinced. And so they stayed with Jesus. Many left. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. Many fall away because sometimes we hit something. We think the the disciples said, this is a difficult teaching. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly, it is, all right? Drink my blood, eat my body. This is difficult. And we can come up with that, come, come up against teaching. We can open this. This is difficult teaching. I, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. This seems wrong. And yet, where else can I turn? Who else has the words of life? Where, where else have I been convinced of the Holy One of God? And so it was like Peter was saying, whatever you say, I can't turn anywhere else. Whatever you call me to do, I know there is, there's nothing better out there. There's no other God. There's no other way. Just one name, as we sang. So this really is the question of Hebrews 11. The writer's been saying some 
saying to some fearful Christians, look, look at the lives of those who have gone before you and who have been convinced. Are you convinced? Are you convinced? Are we convinced? Well, now he's saying, what, what are you going to do about it? Are you convinced? If you're convinced, are you going to hold on? Are you going to let go? Are you going to shrink back? Or are you going to press through? Are you going to endure? Are you going to run? Because secondly, I want to look at convinced to urgency. So we've looked at convinced in a faithful God, but are you convinced to urgency? Now, why did I come up with that phrase? Well, because he uses this analogy of a race. He's looking at a race. You, You can't run a race without any urgency. You can't run a race and be static. You can't run a race and be slothful. You can't run a race and not expect to endure, not expect to hit some problems. What are some of the characteristics of racing? Well, there is endurance, because he's clearly talking about a long-distance race, because he says endure. He's not talking about a 100-meter dash. He's talking about endurance races. Well, it's going to take strain. You're going to come up against niggles. Your body's going to be against you. Your flesh is not with you on it. You're going to encounter difficulties. You can't just dawdle. You can't just pick at your fingernails. You're on to something. You've got to be active. And there needs to be a very single-minded focus, or you just won't make it. I've never run a marathon. I don't expect to. But I do know people that have. They say you come up against the wall. You hit the wall. You've got to endure. You've got to push through. You've got to keep going. And to be able to do that, you've got to have something in mind. You've got to have a a, a one-track-minded focus. You don't want to give in to injury, just giving up, getting sidetracked. Another thing about races, you don't get to choose the track. You can't just say, well, that's quite tough that way. I'm going to go this way when everyone else is going that way. No, no, God's chosen a track for us. And we can't just say, well, I prefer it where there are no hills. I prefer it where we don't go through that boggy bit. I prefer it this way. No, there's this thing about races. You don't get to choose the track. You get to run. So he's saying if you're convinced, throw your lot in. Throw your lot in. Don't get slowed down by weight and sin, he says. Throw off every hindrance, every weight and sin. You're in the middle of the most important thing God is doing on planet Earth throughout history. Redeeming a people back to himself, to life in its fullness. It's the most meaningful thing there is. And you, as a believer, are in the middle of it. So don't, don't start waiting for it to begin. Don't, don't think, I'm, I'm waiting till the day my race will start. You're actually already in it. You're actually already in it. So you, you've got to have some momentum. You've got to start moving. Don't wait for it to start. And when he talks about weight and sin, it's quite helpful, isn't it? He's not just saying, you know, get rid of all the sin, because that's what we can start to fall into and just think, well, Christianity is just avoid sin. Just don't sin. But he's got a much greater plan for you than just avoid sin. Now I've got things for you to accomplish. I've got a race for you to win. So don't don't walk with weight in a race. Weight and anything that can hold you back. Maybe it's just... Constant questions like, will he be faithful? He's asked me to do this. Will he be faithful? I don't really know. I've got one foot out the door. I'm not quite committed. Will he be faithful? Is he really there? Can he be trusted? Will it be worth it? Will it be worth it? Does he really know best? All these types of questions is like carrying weights in a race. Now throw off the weights and everything that hinders you. Are you convinced? Do you believe? Yes, I do. Then we need to live like it. 
We need to step forward. We need to push forward. Will it be worth it? Yes, it'll be worth it. Let's just, we've already been convinced of that. Let's go forward. That's what following Jesus is really about. It's living like you are convinced. Not still being on the fence. Not still having one foot out the door so that any minute I can abandon this. Saying, God, I'm all in like Peter. Where else would I go? Where else can I turn? No one else has the words of life. And I'm convinced that you are the Holy One of God. All those types of questions are weights. What about shame? Perhaps it's just shame that you carry. And it just slows you down because you're constantly just thinking about, you're navel-gazing, you're just caught up in, but I have done this, but I am this, but I fail in this area, but what about this? And you can't run a race when you're, you're clothed in all that weight. I mean, some lunatics do run those marathons clothed in all sorts of costumes, but they're not really winning to, running to win. He's, Paul says to run to win the race. Throw off everything that hinders you. You get, you know, you, real, a real competitor gets rid of almost everything they can that is decent, you know, to keep themselves decent. They just, just get rid of anything that would weigh you down. Don't hold on to shame that Jesus says, I've paid for that. You don't have to hold on to that. I have got rid of it for you. I've dealt with your shame. Don't hold on to things like guilt. Oh, my guilt, slowing me down. Yeah, but it's been paid for. Run, run. Get rid of these things that hold you back. Because you can't run a race, and he actually talks about this in a second, you know, uh, pressing on, looking forward. The race marked out for you. The race before you. Not looking back the whole time. But I've done this. But I, I've, I'm not sure that's okay. But I might miss out on that. No, no. One track minded, facing forwards. There are other needless distractions, slothfulness and arrogance. You think of the tortoise and the hare, you know, that famous story where, okay, I, I think I've got this tied up. This is pretty easy. I put my feet up. No, it takes a, a, an ongoing plodding. Yes, I'll keep going. I'll keep persevering. And then another thing is you can be ill-prepared. Are you going to run a, a marathon better with preparation or without preparation? We want to be well-prepared. 1 Peter 4, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. If you're not prepared for... Life gets tough as a Christian sometimes. When it gets tough, think, what? What's going on here? No, no, be prepared. You know it's going to be. Don't be surprised by trial. Don't be surprised when things are against you. Don't be surprised that the, 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 the culture's not totally for you as a believer or, or even that some of your friends aren't or, or, or that your flesh is against you or that there is an enemy against you because you've put yourself in the opposition to things getting into this race. There are things you'll have to endure, things you'll have to overcome, things you'll have to outlast, press through, keep running. In a race, you can get a stitch. You have to say, oh, that's painful, but I've got to run through it to the point where it's gone. And there are things like that in the Christian life. Okay, okay well, I've got, to, I've got to run through this and come out the other side. We must remember that we can, the urgency is this. That you've only got one, one race, got one life, one go at this, one opportunity. How long are you going to keep that one foot out the door? How long are you going to say, yeah, I, I, I will? Maybe some of you, it was 10 years ago, you were saying, I really want to trust God. I really want to put my whole weight on. Maybe some of you, it's 15, 20 years. I, I, one day I will. I will I really go for it. How long are you going to do that? You've got one life. One life to live. One opportunity to get the most out of this as we possibly can. Out of this salvation, 
that Jesus has won for us, out of this access to God. Are you going to waste that by being restricted? By, by carrying unnecessary burdens? Things that Jesus has actually won the victory for you to cast off? Are you going to waste it by being double-minded? Thinking, yeah, but, but, but maybe I'll miss out. But this, but is he better? Is he worth it? No, no, throw it off. That's what his encouragement to these Hebrews is after having looked at multiple people who threw it off and God showed himself to be faithful. This race set before you, looking ahead. Keep looking forwards. Don't dawdle or look around or behind. You see, it says this in Philippians 3.13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of what God of God in Christ Jesus. God's got great things for us. I love what Rob brought because it was it's not just a you know you can get the, your life sorted out. It's God's got great things for you. If you're if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, and if you are a believer in Jesus, God's got great things for us. Are you convinced that the sacrifices, though very real, are actually very small in comparison to the prize? We're so comfortable in our, in our um, hemisphere or in, in our culture. Not hemisphere. Um, a friend of mine was talking to a Middle Eastern Christian pastor from Pakistan. And he said to him, you've got my sympathy. It must be really difficult with all the persecution that you have to endure in Pakistan. And the, and the pastor from Pakistan said, no, no, no. You have my sympathy. The greatest challenge facing Christians in the East is persecution but the greatest challenge facing Christians in the West is seduction by the culture. I know which one is more dangerous. If I had the choice of staying in Pakistan or moving to the UK, I would stay in Pakistan. Because I'm, I'm in a race. I'm not here to just sit still. I'm not here to just be passive and get bloated and be seduced by a culture that does not want us to follow Jesus. Knowing Jesus and living in his purposes is a prize too glorious to squander. We don't want to be like Esau who squandered his birthright for some soup to satisfy an immediate hunger. Yes, he was hungry. Yes, it was difficult. He was exhausted. He'd just come in, if you know this Bible story. But he gave up something glorious for an immediate hunger. And we can easily turn to that sort of immediate satisfaction. But as we're going to look at just now, he says, no, consider Christ who looks not to the immediate. We want to be like Jesus, who saw a great joy ahead. Looking ahead to the great joy, he endured hostility, and he endured the worst physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental health, sorry, mental pain, uh, that anyone has ever endured, knowing a victory is in sight. He didn't just do it because he's a martyr. He did it because a victory was in sight. He had his eyes on the prize. So thirdly, are you convinced of the good news? Are you really convinced of the good news that Jesus really did pay for your wrongdoings? That's, that's the only hope that the Hebrew believers have here is that we follow the way. We follow the one. We've got the answer. We've got the superior one. He is our God. We're his people. Are you convinced of that? your only hope. Every one of your wrongdoings, everything that kept you separate from the Father, everything that was between you and the Father, the Holy One, the curtain's been torn in two 
There is no access, complete access, nothing to hold you back. Are you convinced of this? Are you convinced he really rose from the dead victorious? Because to do good work, you first have to believe the good news. If you are doing hard work without first believing the good news, you're doing dead work. Because you're trying to accomplish something. You're not living in the, the joy and the freedom of the good news. And doing it out of worship. You're doing it, I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to work up my salvation. No, first believe the good news. Because he says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. We'll talk about that in a minute. The founder of our faith. Jesus is the reason we came. Jesus is the hope that we have in God. Why did you come? Why did you put your faith in God? Because Jesus gave me hope. Why should you maintain trust in God then? Well, I need to keep looking at Jesus. I need to keep having my hope in Jesus. Second uh, Colossians 2, 6 says, Therefore, as you receive Jesus... Continue in him. How did you receive Jesus? How did you receive Jesus? I, re- I received him knowing I needed him. Knowing I needed for, I, I received him attracted to him. I received him uh, uh, um, in love with him. I received him as my saviour. Now go on. Continue in him as your saviour. Continue in him as someone you're attracted to. Continue in him as someone you know you need. You haven't got in through the door. He did say he was the door, but it's not like, yeah, I've gotten through the door. I don't need him anymore. No, continue in him. He's the founder of your faith, looking to Jesus. I need to keep my eyes on him. As it says in uh, Colossians 1, this is our hope. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Are we convinced of the good news? Are we convinced that Jesus is my righteousness? Jesus is enough. Jesus is my only hope. And are we convinced of his victory? As we're going to run this race, I've got to be convinced he's worth it. I've got to be convinced he's my hope. And I've got to be convinced he's already run this race better than I have. And he's already secured the victory. I've got to run and take hold of that with him. Jesus really is seated, it says, at the right hand of God in victory. If we're convinced of his work, if we're convinced of his victory, if we're convinced of his salvation, it means that we can be confident that we're free from trying to work our way into God's good books. We can be confident that we're free to come right to the throne of God and claim a warm welcome from him. That changes everything. That really does change everything. You can run a race like that. By faith in that, you can run. So finally, are we convinced that God is at work? Convinced that God is at work. These people in Hebrews 11 were convinced that God was at work. Why should I build a boat in the desert, Moses, uh, Noah could have said. God's at work. Why, why should I take my son, who you promised is the beginning of the rest of your people for, forever, and go and kill him, Abraham could have said. Well, 
God is at work. He will revive him. Amazing faith that God is at work. See, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. The whole uh, second half of the passage that I read talks about this, this discipline that God brings. This discipline that God has for us, for his children. It's ownership of us. It's not just that there's a religion that you need to keep up with and then one day I'll see you maybe in heaven if you're good enough. Nothing like it. It's an ownership. You're mine. I brought you right in. And, and a good father owns their children in disciplining them and helping them to grow. God's plan, it actually includes pain because his plan is for growth. There isn't growth without pain. It's real. It's valuable. It's worthy. There are so many things that we can get so easily in the world now, so cheaply. You can swipe right on Tinder. Easy. And you lose all meaning. You lose all worth. It's not a God of hookups. It's a God of, I own you. I want to walk with you. I want to help you grow. I cherish you. It's real. It's valuable. Worthy. It's not easy because it's not empty. It's not vapid. It's not meaningless. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes because he wants us to grow. God wants to give you strength and freedom to reign. Freedom to reign in life. You think of the strength that you get if you're someone who goes to the gym, you've got to put hard work in to get the strength. You know, many of us have just joined a gym and then uh, found we didn't get much stronger, but we didn't go. That was the problem. You've got to go. You've got to get strength. You've got to, okay, I've got resistance. I've got to get into resistance training. I want to grow strength. There's strength that God wants you to have, to be able to endure. And so he will take you through discipline. Are you you aware that when you're going through something difficult at times, God is at work? God is at work. Even if the devil is at work, God is at work. It doesn't mean that you need to just embrace and, 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 and sort of cheerfully think, this is lovely. No, it's painful sometimes. But okay, God, I do believe you're at work at something greater here. If I, if I trust in you. What about freedom? God wants you to grow in freedom. The type of freedom that could cause you to reign is the type of freedom that you can reign over an instrument if you take the time and discipline. You know, Chris plays guitar very well. He spent years of his teenage years disciplining, practicing, disciplining. You get a classical, uh, classically trained um, musician. It takes years and years and years, and then suddenly it looks effortless. Just on the violin, just effortless, can just all over it. Chris on the guitar, all over it. Just looks effortless. No, it takes years and years. But that type of freedom, it takes discipline. God takes us through things because he wants to give us freedom to reign over what he's called us to reign over. So are you convinced? Are you living a life of someone who is convinced? How might your life look different if you were to live as one who is truly convinced? Convinced of his faithfulness. Convinced of urgency. Convinced that the effort is worth it. Convinced of the good news. Convinced of his victory. How might your life look different if you felt, no, I really am convinced of this. I really am persuaded. I really am confident 
that he has won the victory. I really am confident that he is at work. How might that actually change your life? I wonder if there's things even now that you think, I want to bring that to God. I want to bring it to God. God, I, I, I haven't been acknowledging that you're at work in this. I haven't been acknowledging that you have won the victory. I haven't been acknowledging uh, that there is, there's only one life. I've only got one opportunity. I've been wasting my time. I haven't even been acknowledging that, uh, uh, that, that, that you're a faithful God. And maybe there are things to now. You need to just bring to God as we sing in just a moment. And perhaps... Some of you here think, yeah, I'm not really interested in any of this. And you, you maybe even call yourself an atheist, or you just think, okay, I'm, I'm not convinced. But I want to just put this challenge to you. It's, it's easy to say that. It's really easy just to opt out, just to say, well, I'm not, if I'm not convinced, I don't have to do any of that racing stuff. If I'm not convinced, I don't have to go to the gym. If I'm not convinced, I don't have to let God work in my life. And so I just, I just say I'm not convinced. I know many people who, who literally use that as an argument. If you don't believe in God, then uh, he's not there. <laughs> it's like you could just take the blue pill. Like ignorance is bliss. The blue pill from the Matrix. I'm not talking about that other blue pill. I just realized as I said that. Um, so <laughs> sometimes when I was younger, I would try to get out of responsibilities by saying uh, uh, I was pretending I was ignorant of them. So like, I didn't know I was, I was supposed to tidy my room. I, I didn't know. Or no one told me I wasn't supposed to punch my brother. No one told me I had to do my homework accurately. Like I'd found some sort of loophole. But that's just as silly as someone saying, yeah, I'm hiding. You can't find me just by covering your own eyes. Playing hide and seek by covering your own eyes to hide. Just saying you aren't convinced to keep yourself from having to make tough choices doesn't work. Because if it's true, it's true regardless of your acceptance or your denial. If you're starting to feel convinced that this Jesus really is real, then you owe it to yourself to look deeper. You do owe it to yourself to look further. God promises in his word that if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. So if that's you right now, I do want to pray for you. I want to pray for those particularly who feel, I just, if I just keep, you know, fingers in my ears, la, 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 don't have to listen, then none of it's real. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I do pray for courage for people to be honest enough with themselves to say, ignorance is not bliss if I'm ignoring the truth. Ignorance doesn't help me if I'm missing out on what could be everything. Lord, I do pray, reveal Jesus as worthy, as worthy of following. Help people who are, as we heard in the worship, being warmed to the name of Jesus. Just to recognize there is an urgency. There is one life. There is a faithful God. I really ask you, Jesus, please, would you help people to not run and hide away from you, but to run and hide in you and to find you to be their salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing in a moment, but um, we're going to, I just want to encourage, we want to be people who, on the back of this series we've looked at, say, okay, am I just going to hear and nod and think, yeah, that's, that's stirring, that's interesting, that, 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 that's a great passage, what a chapter that is. 
Or am I going to be someone who, who knows, now I'm strength, strong where I was weak. Now I'm, I'm light where I used to be heavily burdened. Now I'm softer where I used to be callous because I know he's won the victory. Things are changing for me. I am actually going to run. I'm going to walk forward. I'm going to put my faith in him. So I encourage you, let's be those who run the race and see what God has for us. Amen.